This is Dr. Stephen Dion. I am one of the co-authors on the second of two one-year multi-center open-label repeat dose phase two safety studies of probatulinum toxin A for the treatment of moderate to severe glabellar lines in adult patients. My co-authors and lead author is Paul Lorenz, as well as Jeffrey Adaglass, second author, Rui Avalar, Leslie Bauman, Kenneth Beer, Joel Cohn, Sue Ellen Cox, myself, Jeff Dover, Janine Downey, Zoe Dralos, Mitch Goldman, John Gross, John Joseph, Jolie Kaufman, Ron Moy, Mark Nestor, Joel Schlesinger, Stacey Smith, and Robert Weiss. Abstract. Background. Probotulinum toxin A is a 900 kilodalton botulinum toxin type A produced by Clostridium botulinum. Objectives. The author sought to investigate the safety of herbogenum toxin A for the treatment of glabellar lines. Methods. This was a multi-centered, open-label, repeat-dose, one-year, phase-two safety study, adults with moderate to severe glabellar lines at maximum frown, as independently assessed by both investigator and patients on the validated 4-point photonumeric glabellar scale. Um, on day zero, patients received initial treatment of 20 units of probotulinum toxin A, 4 units per 0.1 cc, final vacuum and dry formulation injected into five glabellar sites. On and after day 90, patients received a repeat treatment if their glabellar lines score was greater than greater or equal to 2 at maximum frown by investigator assessment. Safety outcomes were evaluated throughout the study. Results. The 570 study patients received a median total dose of 60 units, that is that is three treatments. Six, 61 patients, 10.7% experienced adverse events. Assessed as possibly study drug-related in 6.5%. Experienced stu- study drug-related AEs after the uh, initial treatment. With each repeat treatment, progressively lower percentages of patients experienced study drug-related AEs. Eight patients... Eight patients experienced study drug-related AEs of special interest. Five experienced atelitosis, three eyebrow ptosis, one blepharospasms, and one had blurred vision. Seven patients experienced serious AEs, but none were study drug-related. A total of 4,060 serum samples were tested for antibiotic toxin A antibodies. No seroconversions were, was observed. The safety of repeat treatments of 20 units of probotulinum toxin A from moderate to severe glabellar lines was confirmed in the second phase two study based on a broad range of outcomes. Probotulinum toxin A is a new 900 kilodalton botulinum toxin type A preparation produced by Clostridium botulinum, first developed by Daewung Pharmaceuticals, Seoul, South Korea. It was licensed at Evelis of Newport Beach, California, and is marketed as Juvo in the United States. Evidence that in an early formation, probotulinum toxin A was both safe and effective for the treatment of moderate severe glabular lines in adult patients and non-inferior to onobotulinum toxin A was first established in a 268-patient randomized double-blind phase 3 comparator study conducted in South Korea. In its final commercial formulation, probotulinum toxin A is vacuum-dried excipient, includes 0.5 milligrams of human serum albumin, 0.9 milligrams of saline per 100 unit vial. Results from two identical multicenter placebo-controlled phase 3 clinical trials conducted in the U.S. confirm the efficacy and safety of a single treatment of 20 units of probotulinum toxin A for the treatment of moderate to severe glabellar lines in adult patients. Results from a multicenter active and placebo-controlled phase 3 clinical trial EVB 003 N equals 540 patients conducted in Europe and Canada confirmed that a single dose of 20 units of probotulinum toxin A 
was both well-tolerated and non-inferior to 20 units of onobotulinum toxin A for the treatment of moderate to severe glomerular lines in adult patients who also felt their glomerular lines had an important psychological impact. In all three of these single-dose studies, the safety endpoints examined include the extent of exposure, total adverse events, common adverse events, serious adverse events, adverse events of special interest as defined by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Study drug-related AEs, vital signs, physical examination, and concomitant medications. In the U.S., EV001 and EV002 studies, EKG and laboratory hematology, chemistry analysis, serum antibody toxins, antibodies testings were also performed. The current study, EV006, was undertaken to investigate the safety of repeat treatments of 20 units of probotulum toxin A administered over the course of one year for moderate to severe glomerular lines associated with corrugator and or procerus muscle activity and large representation of U.S. adult patients. Safety endpoints examined were comprehensive and identical to those items above for the U.S. pivotal trials. All efficacy endpoints were exploratory in nature. So a study really looking at safety with repeat treatments of probotulum toxin A. This study was a prospectively designed, multicenter, open-label, non-blind, non-randomized, long-term repeat-dose study in which all patients receive active treatments. It was primarily designed to collect long-term safety data related to repeat-dosing of probotulum toxin A in a large representative patient population over a one-year period. The EV006 study was conducted between May 2015 and August 2016 at 18 study centers in the U.S. The study protocol and its amendments were approved, employed a centralized IRB quorum review of Seattle, Washington. The study was conducted in accordance with the ethical principles that have their origin in the 1975 Declaration of Helsinki and in compliance with the International Conference Harmonizations. Patients. The study patient was selected from a population of healthy adults at least 18 years of age who have moderate glomerular lines which is a score of two, to severe glomerular lines, score of three on the glomerular line scale. And this was done at maximum frown and independently assessed by both the investigator and patients employing the four-point photonumeric GLS. The main exclusion criteria included previous treatments of botulinum toxin A of any serotype and area within at least six months of any planned treatment. During the study period, previous treatments with any facial aesthetic procedures in the glomerular area within the last 12 months were also excluded, along with previous insertion of permanent material in the glomerular area, any surgeon, any surgeon glomerular area, or any other planned facial aesthetic procedure during the study, marked facial asymmetry, presence or history of eyelid or eyebrow ptosis, female patients of childbearing potential were required to have a negative pregnancy test and be willing to utilize an acceptable form of contraception. All patients provided informed consent. Treatment and follow-up. On day zero, eligible patients were treated with 20 units of probotulum toxin A administered at 4 units per 0.1 cc injected into each of five sites. Investigators administered the study treatment by intramuscular injection. The target injection sites were the midline of the procerus and the inferior middle aspect of each corrugator muscle and the superior middle aspect of each corrugator at least one centimeter above the bony orbital rim. Topical anesthesia was allowed if determined necessary by investigator and or patient after the initial treatment on day zero. Patients were followed up in the office on days 2, 7, 14, 30, and 90. On and after day 90, patients were eligible for repeat treatment if their GLS score was greater than 2 at maximum frown as judged by the investigator. If patients did not have a GLS score greater than 2 or equal to 2, they were followed up monthly plus or minus 14 days until eligible for a repeat treatment or until the study ended on day 365. After a repeat treatment, the follow-up schedule was similar to the follow-up after the initial injection, with the exception that 
Day two and day 14 were conducted by telephone call from the investigator's office instead of an office visit. Patients could have received a maximum of four treatments. In other words, the, the initial treatment and repeat treatments at one, two, and three, um, they were to be followed up for a maximum of 365 days from initial treatment to ensure that there was at least one month of follow-up after the last injection. No treatment was to take place after day 330. A schematic of the repeat treatments evaluation cycle is presented in figure one of the written manuscript. Assessment. Safety was evaluated by assessing the extent of exposure, AEs, medical histories, physical examination results, vital signs, EKG, laboratory, hematology, chemistry, UA, serum antibody, toxin antibodies, testing and concomitant medications. All laboratory, electrical, and EKG testing was performed by centralized facilities independent of the sponsor. Hematology, chemistry, and urinalysis tests were performed at screening and at the end of study. Early termination um, only. General botulinum toxin antibody testing performed throughout the study at screening. Initial training days 30 and 60 before each repeat treatment and repeat treatment days 30 and 90 and end of study early termination. In the case of a positive result, in other words, evidence of seroconversion, neutralizing antibodies testing was, was to be performed. EKG testing was performed at screening, initial treatment, day 30, and at the end of study, early termination. AEs were collected at each study visit. A directed questionnaire and directed review of systems were employed to help guide the physical examination and ensure that the reporting AEs, particularly those of special interest, was comprehensive. Of note, the directed questionnaire was administered in person by the investigator or trained investigative site staff in a non-anonymous fashion during the site visit and recorded on paper in the patient's source documents. The investigator alone was responsible for performing the subsequent direct review of systems and physical examination. Adverse events of special interest were those 50 were those 50 events listed in the draft guidance document for industry developed by the US FDA for developing botulinum toxin products for treatment of upper facial lines. Examples of these types of AEs include blurred vision, dysphonia, halitosis, facial palsy, muscular weakness, and speech disorder. In addition, efficacy was evaluated at each clinic visit by investigator and patient assessment of the GLS at maximum found and at rest. Investigator and patient assessments on a five-point global static improvement scale. 2 equals much improved, 1 improved, 0 no change, negative 1 worse, negative 2 much worse. And patient's assessment on a 5-point subjective scale. 2 very satisfied, 1 satisfied, 0 indifferent, negative 1 unsatisfied, negative 2 very unsatisfied. Outcomes and statistical analysis. Analysis is primarily descriptive in nature. Continuous data were summarized by number of patients. Mean standard deviation, median, medium, maximum categorical data were summarized by number and percentage of patients. Safety outcomes were reported for the safety population. Defined as all patients who received at least one dose of probotulum toxin A. In other words, the initial treatment on day zero. AEs were coded according to the Medical Dictionary for Regulatory Activities and grouped by systems, organ class, and preferred term. The instance of AEs were summarized for each treatment, following initial treatment, repeat treatments 1, 2, and 3, as frequency and proportions. The primary safety analysis was the calculation of proportion of patients with at least one AE that occurred from day 0 through day 365. Exploratory efficacy outcomes were reported for the response Invaluable population defined as all patients who received at least one dose of probotulum toxin A on day zero and had at least one post-baseline investigator on patient assessment. The only efficacy analysis for which 95% confidence interval was calculated was the proportion of patients with an improvement from day zero of one point or more, greater than one point responder. 
or equal to one point responder. On day 365 of the GLS at rest, efficacy data was also summarized from various endpoints throughout the study on each day's 2, 7, 14, 30, and 19, and at monthly follow-up visits thereafter. These endpoints include proportion of patients with greater than one or equal to one point improvement GLS at maximum found in the distribution of GIIS, the global static improvement score, and the subjective satisfaction score of the patients. Approximately 565 patients were planned to be enrolled in the EV006 study. Assuming a 50% dropout rate, it was expected that 480 patients would complete the study. This sample size was not based on any specific statistical criteria. Rather, it was based on the need to ensure that there was both sufficient number of patients in the clinical development program to meet international conference harmonization guidelines requirement for an overall total of over 1,500 patients exposed to robotum toxin A and a sufficient number of patients with exposure to repeat treatments as required by the FDA. Patients, disposition, and demographics under the results section. A total of 570 patients were enrolled and received at least the initial treatment of 20 units of probiotic toxin A and formed the safety population. All but four of these patients qualify for inclusion to the response valuable population. Most patients, 487 out of 570, which is 85.4%, completed the study. Most commonly, patients did not complete, did not return, and were lost to follow-up. Patients had a mean age of 50.8 years. Most patients were younger than 65 years. 8.9% were 65 years of age or older. Most patients, 89.5%, were females. Most patients were racially identified as white, 76%, or were Hispanic and Latino ethnicity, 16.5%. The most common Fitzpatrick skin types were 3 and 2, with 36.7% and 28%, respectively. Patients identified these skin types. By investigator and assessment, 73.3% of the patients had severe globular lines at maximum frown at baseline. By patient assessment, 81% of the patients did. By investigator assessment, 88.4% of the patients, which equals 504 patients, also had evidence of globular lines at rest, defined as baseline GLS score of zero, greater than zero at rest. By patient assessment, 97% of the patients did. Safety, extent of exposure. The 570 patients in the safety population received a mean total dose of 61 units of probiotic toxin A, 20 to 80 units over the course of one-year study. The median total dose was 60 units, that is three treatments. Of the 487 study completers, six patients, 1.2%, completed the one-year study without requiring a repeat treatment and no visit on day 90 or thereafter. Were these... no? It, at no visit on day 90 or monthly thereafter were these patients assessed by investigator to have a GLS score at maximum found of 2 or 3. A further 66 patients, or 13.6%, received a single repeat treatment after the initial treatment of 82 to 330 days. 203 of these patients received a sec- two repeat treatments after initial after initial and the first repeat treatment, respectively ranging from 82 to 84, 82 to 212 days and 84 to 217 days. And 212 patients, which is 43.5%, received three repeat treatments. Adverse events. A total of 235 patients, or 41.2%, experienced a total of 475 AEs, or adverse events, over the course of the study. Approximately 25% of all patients experienced an adverse event following the initial treatment, representing 61% of the patients who experienced an adverse event at any time during the study. Progressively lower percentage of patients experienced AEs following each repeat treatment, 19.3% after repeat treatment 1, 15.5% after repeat treatment 2, and 8.9% after repeat treatment 3. A similar trend was observed in the AEs assessed by investigators 
as study drug related. In addition, with the exception of repeat treatment three, similar trends were also observed for serious AEs and adverse events of serious incidents or of interest. Note that overall, few patients experience these latter types of events, with only one patient experiencing a serious AE following repeat treatment three, and three patients or 1.4% experience an AESI following repeat treatment three. One death was reported in a 43-year-old female who also had breast cancer. This was the only patient experiencing AE that led to the study discontinuation. The event was a severe drug overdose thought to be possibly related to concomitant medications of alprazolam and temazepam with an onset 138 days after the IT was assessed and not to be related to the study drug. Most AEs were mild or moderate in severity. 14 patients or 2.9% were severe. These include two events of migraine in one patient and one each of carotid artery stenosis, headache, overdose, wrist fracture, rash pain in extremity, upper abdominal pain, small intestinal obstruction, breast cancer, uterine lyoma, anxiety, and drug hypersensitivity. Only the two severe events of migraine which occurred in a single patient with a history of tension headaches were recorded at baseline were assessed as a possible study drug-related. All of this serious adverse events were assessed as unrelated. Seven patients, 1.2%, experienced a total of eight treatment emergent AEs assessed by the investigator as serious. The patient discussed above with breast cancer who died of an overdose and one patient each with squamous cell carcinoma, uterine lyomoma, colitis, small intestinal obstruction, and carotid stenosis, anxiety, no serious AEs were assessed as study drug-related. 61 patients, or 10.7%, experienced a total of 91 AEs assessed by investigator as study drug-related. Most of the 475 AEs reported during the study were assessed as not related to the study drug. Altogether, 21 events, or 4.4%, were assessed as definitely related. 23, 4.8%, is probably related, and 47, or 9.9%, is possibly related. Headache was the event most commonly expressed as study drug-related. In 47 patients, experienced a headache assessed as either study, either possibly, probably, or definitely study drug-related. Headache reported by 13.2% of all patients was also the most common AE. It was the only event reported in 5% or more of the patients. By preferred term, a total of 12 other types of AEs occurred in 1% or more patients, 6 or more patients. These included upper respiratory tract infection, sinusitis, nasopharyngitis, hypertension, urinary tract infection, contusion, bronchitis, cough, eyelidosis, acne, dermatitis contact, and pain in extremity. 16 patients or 2.8% experienced a total of 21 AEs, SIs, many of which were assessed as unrelated to study drug. All AESIs, regardless of relatedness, were mild and severity. None were assessed as serious, and no patients discontinued the study due to one of these types of events. Eight patients experienced a total of 11 AESIs that were assessed as possibly, probably, or definitely related to the drug. All 11 events were categorized as eye disorders, including six reports of eyelidosis in five patients, three of eyebrow ptosis, one of each blepharospasm, and blurred vision. Note that of the 11 events, four reported for a single patient. These included two reports of eyelidosis, one event two days after the initial treatment that resolved in 60 days, and one event two days after repeat treatment that resolved in 22 days, one of eyebrow ptosis two days after repeat treatment that resolved in 22 days, and one of blepharospasm eight days after repeat treatment one that resolved in one hour. Between 0.2 and 0.9% of patients experienced a study drug-related AESI following any given treatment. The median time to onset of study drug-related AESI was three days after the patient's most recent treatment date, and the median duration was 11.5 days, all resolved. Of particular interest, 
The sixth study, drug-related eight, um, isolatosis resolved within 2, 3, 4, 22, 66, and 183 days of onset. Of the 51 patients who were 65 years or older, 20 patients or 39.2% experienced AEs, one of the eight serious events, squamous cell carcinoma, and two AESIs, one mild bradycardia, one mild aponeurotic eyelidtosis that occurred during the study reported in patients 65 years of age or older. And none of these three events were assessed as related to the study drug. None of the changes from baseline value for any hematology, chemistry, urinalysis measure was particularly noteworthy. A total of 4,060 serial samples were collected throughout the study and tested for presence of general antibody, botulinum toxin antibodies. No patients shifted from negative at baseline to positive at any subsequent measure taken, including end-of-study early termination. Accordingly, neutralizing antibodies testing was not performed. One patient had a previous exposure to botulinum toxin tested marginally positive, titers of 50 for the presence of anti-botulinum toxin antibodies at screening visit. This patient subsequently tested negative for the presence of anti-botulinum toxin antibodies at all post-baseline visit measures. He also proved to be responsive to treatments. By, uh, by initial treatment day two and repeat treatment day seven, his GLS score at maximum frown had decreased to zero and from initial treatment day zero and repeat treatment day one, day zero scores of three and two respectively. None of the individual differences and changes from baseline value were particularly noteworthy for any of the vital signs assessed. As summarized by the independent centralized EKG facility, none of the EKG findings observed were of concern for the overall cardiac safety of probiotic toxin A. Two parties had events that were considered to be clinically important for that patient. One had a new onset of complete right bundle branch block on end of the study visit, and another patient had atrial bigeminy at the initial treatment date 30 visit that was resolved at the end of study visit. Efficacy. Representative photographs of the patient's glabular lines at maximum frown taken at best line, end of day 2, 7, 14, 30, 90, 121, are presented in figure 3A. The proportion of patients in the responsive valuable population with a greater than 1 or equal to 1 point improvement from baseline GLS score at rest on day 365 was only efficacy endpoint for which 95% confidence intervals were constructed. Patients who qualified for this analysis, 436 by investigators' assessment, 475 by patient assessment were limited to those who completed the study who also had evidence of globular line at rest at baseline, a baseline GLS score of rest of zero. Of these, 71.1% of the patients had greater than one-point improvement from baseline GLS score at rest on day 365 by investigator assessment. 79.4% of the patients had a greater than one or equal to one improvement from baseline on GLS scores at rest on day 365 by patient assessment. A marked response to treatment was evident from the first assessment day, which is day two, followed by following the initial treatment by both investigator and a patient assessment on that day. 62.1% of the patients by investigator assessment and 56% by the patient assessment achieved a one or greater than one, a, a one or greater than one improvement in the GLS maximum frown. As illustrated in figure four, the percentage of patients with greater or equal to one point improvement on the GLS at maximum frown peaked from the the day 7 to day 30 visit for each treatment by both investigator and patient assessment. The percentage of patients with these outcomes at similar time intervals did not vary widely across repeat treatments. For example, by investigator assessments and compared with 96.9% of the patients at initial treatment day 30, 96.8% at retreatment day 30, 98.2% at repeatment treatment 2 day 30, and 96.4% at repeatment treatment 3 day 30 experienced a greater or one-point improvement in GLS maximus from. 
A similar observation was noted for the percentage of patients with greater than or equal to two-point improvement of baseline. That is by investigator assessment and compared with 82% of patients in initial treatment, day 30, 81.2% of repeat treatment one, day 30, 82.9% of repeatment treatment two, day 30, and 81.1% of repeatment treatment three, day 30, experienced a greater than or equal to two-point improvement on the GLS maximum frown. By both investigator and patient assessment, the percentage of patients with positive response, in other words, improved or much improved on the GIS, showed little variation across treatments, ranging between 96% and 98% in day 7 and day 30 visits for all treatments. Similarly, the percentage of patients with positive response, satisfied or very satisfied, did not vary widely across treatments, ranging from 88.8% and 93.6% at day 7 and day 30 visits for all treatments. Discussion. This repeat dose study was conducted with final commercial formulation of Proboscidean A. As such, the impact of repeat dosing on safety and efficacy was particular interest. In the 570 patients, multicenter open-label one-year phase 2 study, the safety of repeat treatments of 20 units of Daewong P450 up to a maximum of 80 units for the treatment of moderate to severe glomerular lines in adult patients was established based on broad range of outcomes. Patients qualify for retreatment on and after day 90 only if their GLS score was greater than or equal to 2 at maximum found as assessed by the investigator. On average, patients qualified for and received three treatments. Three. This was true for all patients as well as for the 487 patients who completed 365 days of study and is particularly noteworthy given that 73.3% by investigator assessment had, and 81.2% by patient assessment had severe globular lines at maximum frown at baseline. Among study completers, there was a slight trend towards longer retreatment periods. That is, for those who received four treatments, the mean subsequent interval between treatments was 93, 96, and 99 days for those who received three treatments. The mean sequential interval was 130, 137 days, ranging from 82 to 212 days. This trend may be suggestive of a small cumulative benefit associated with repeat treatments administered at interval three or more months. It may also be reflective of the fact that patients become eligible for repeat treatment if they had a GLS score, a maximum frown of at least a moderate or equal to two. Great. It was not required that they return to the original baseline score. Importantly, there was no evidence of shortening retreatment periods that might otherwise have been suggestive of immunogenicity and or development of resistance. The percentage of patients who experienced an AE after treatment did not increase with repeat exposure. In fact, the opposite trend was observed. While 41.2% of patients experienced one or more AEs over the course of the study, 25.3% experienced the events following the IT or initial treatment, representing 61.3% of all patients who experienced an AE. Progressively lower percentage of patients experience AEs following each repeat treatment. This trend was also observed for the study drug AEs. These observations are typical of the reported for the repeat treatments of other botulinum toxins employed for this indication, including ano and abo botulinum toxin A and inco botulinum toxin A. In all studies, the incidence of events were highest after the initial treatment. Few patients, 1.2%, experienced a serious AE, none of which were study drug related, and a few, 2.8%, patients experience an AESI. Of these nine experienced AESIs 
assessed as unrelated to study drug. All were mild severity. None were assessed as severe or serious, and no one withdrew due to the AESI. Eight patients, 1.4%, experienced a total of 11 AESIs assessed as study drug-related. All were categorized as eye disorders. or pilgrim interest at 1.6%. The overall rate of patients with eyelid or eyebrow ptosis compared favorably to the ptosis rate that had been reported for other toxins in other 12- to 13-month-long studies. In our study, 0.9% experienced a related eyelid ptosis event, 0.5% experienced an unrelated eyelid to- eyebrow ptosis event, and 0.4% experienced an unrelated eyelid ptosis event. There were no cases of seroconversions observed in the study. In over 4,000 serum samples tested, only one patient, 0.2% tested marginally positive for the presence of antibiotic toxin antibodies at the baseline visit only. And this patient had a previous exposure to botulinum toxin. No other patients tested positive for the presence of these antibodies. Similarly, no patient either of the two U.S. pivotal studies, total 492 patients, who 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 was negative for the presence of botulinum toxin antibody at baseline, tested positive at any of the repeat tests taken at day 30, 90, and the end of study termination. None of the EKG findings observed were of concern for the overall cardiac safety of probotulinum toxin A, nor the findings based on the laboratory hematology, chemistry, or urinalysis measurement, vital signs, or utilization concomitant medications were particularly noteworthy. Although primarily a safety study, the efficacy of 20 units of probotulinum toxin A for the treatment of moderate to severe glomerular lines up to a maximum of four treatments over the course of one year was evident by all exploratory efficacy measures. Utilizing each of the GLS maximum frowns, GAS, and the SSS, there was a similar pattern of rapid response to treatment in the first week of post-treatment as measured at initial treatment day two, with peak values observed at the initial treatment day 14 and repeat treatment day seven and day 30 visit. There was also no pattern of diminished response with repeat treatments as would have been seen for example, as immunological response was mounting against the botulinum toxin. Similarly, no loss of effectiveness which has been reserved with re- repeat treatments of other botulinum toxins approved for this indication. Because the effectiveness of a single treatment of 20 units of probotulinum toxin A in treating lobular lines at maximum frown had been established in the double-blind placebo-controlled phase 3 trials, it was of interest to utilize effective data collected in the open-label phase 2 study to explore any treatment effect that repeat doses of toxin may have on global lines that rest at one year. That is, if the underlying muscles remain relaxed for a period of one year, could there potentially have been remodeling of the soft tissue above the muscles in the global region? Of interest, by study and 71% of the patients by investigator assessment and 79% of the patients by patient assessment who could potentially have experienced a greater or equal to one-point improvement on GLS at rest did so. Further studies warranted to investigate this hypothesis. In our study of greater than one greater than equal to one point improvement from baseline and the GLS score was the endpoint chosen to evaluate the change in globular lines over time. By design, a one-point improvement on a four-point scale of non-mild, moderate, severe is intended to be clinically significant, both relevant to the patient and meaningful to the physicians who treat them. Of note, as mandated by the FDA, a more severely onerous onerous primary FCM point was employed in the pivotal single-dose phase three studies of greater than or equal to two-point improvement baseline on GLS at maximum found at day 30 is independently agreed to by both investigator and patient assessment. Although this high degree of correction is useful for regulatory purposes, to establish the efficacy of toxin indication is perhaps less clinically relevant to the treating of physicians and their patients who may prefer a more subtle, more natural-looking change of interest. By investigator assessment, between 81 and 82.9% of the patients in our study achieved a greater than or equal to two-point improvement from baseline and GLS at maximum frown at day 30 across repeat treatments, as did patients at 81.5 and 86% of patients in the parallel repeat EV004 study. Similar outcomes were also achieved in each of the pivotal single-dose studies by investigator assessment, 77.5% and 82.5% 
comparison of, of probationum taxin treatment patients in EV001 and 002 respectively, experienced a greater than or equal to two-point improvement from baseline than GLS at maximum found at day 30. These data illustrate the consistency of response to 20 units of probationum taxin A across all five studies of the clinical development program, regardless of whether the studies had an open label or double-blind control design. One clear limitation of the study is its open label. In other words, it's non-blind and non-randomized, uncontrolled design. As a consequence, all FSCAN endpoints were considered exploratory in nature. A blind and independent assessment of FSCAN point was not performed. Still, within the confines of a clinical study program, it is the design that best approximates the expected utilization of the product by the general population in the real world. With the rigorous monitoring of the safety measures, it was considered suitable for the collection of long-term safety data related to repeat dosing of botulinum toxin for this indication. A second limitation also seen in the placebo-controlled studies the reflection of the current clinical profile reported for this product in which male patients 65 years of age and older and those with skin color are underrepresented. 89.5% of our patients were female, 91.9% were less than 65, and 76% were identified as white. Similar disparities are also evident in the patient population of the long-term studies with other toxins. In summary, the safety of RT or repeat treatments of 20 units of probotium toxin A for moderate severe global lines in adult patients was established in this multi-center open-label long-term phase two study based on broad range of outcomes, including AEs and serum antibody testing. Of key importance to clinicians, progressively lower percentage of patients experienced study drug-related AEs with repeat treatments. Furthermore, an examination of exploratory FSCE outcomes suggests that there is no pattern of diminished effectiveness of repeat treatments. By its nature, an open-label repeat dose phase two studies such as this reflects real-world clinical practice and provides visibility on what happens following exposure to repeat treatments. As such, it complements findings based on a single dose, phase three studies on which safety and efficacy of a toxin is first established. Importantly, many of the safety and efficacy outcomes are valued in our study drug AEs such as headache, ptosis, FSC endpoints, such as and overall aesthetic improvement, and patient satisfaction are inherently relevant to the clinical practice of physicians who administer botulinum toxin treatments and their patients who seek out their treatments. Thank you very much for listening to this reading of the paper second of two one-year multicenter open-label repeat doses phase two safety study for botulinum toxin A for the treatment of moderate severe glomerular lines in adult patients. This is Dr. Stephen Diane.